Hello, and thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast, now available on almost any platform where podcasts can be found. What you'll most often find here is our Sunday service sermon audio, but we'll also post bits and pieces of special services, events, and other things as they pertain to the life of the church. If you'd like to know more about what's happening here at Redeemer, you can visit us online at www.redeemermn.org or join us live Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on YouTube or Facebook. Just search for Redeemer MN or Redeemer Lutheran Church and locate the blue droplet icon. We're overjoyed at this opportunity to minister to you and to walk beside you as you begin to experience what it means to be the church. Let's dive in. This week, we're starting a new series called I Love You, But. I love the graphic. It's the old game, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I had a a neighbor, a buddy of mine, when I was a kid growing up, and he got this game for for a birthday present one year, and for about a month, we were obsessed. Every day, we had a little time of Rock'em Sock'em Robots. The game, though, says a lot about this series, because have you ever thought to yourself, I love you, but. I love you, but you believe that? I love you, but I I can't believe you said that, or I can't believe you did that. Or the classic line, I love you, but I don't like you right now. (laughs) Have you ever thought, I love you, but I want to knock your block off? (laughs) All right, see some hands and some heads nod. I have two. Some of you might be feeling that right now. Just keep your hands to yourself. Those online, Pastor Jason's watching you. No, we're not, but just keep them to yourself. Conflict in relationships is not a new problem. But how you respond makes all the difference. And so my aim during this series is to give some practical wisdom from the Bible. How do we live together in harmony? How to resolve conflict without losing the relationship? We like to think that there are just two kinds of people in the world, right? The first group is the people that we love. These are the people that make life worthwhile. If you're lucky, it's your family or some really close friends that you just really enjoy spending time with. But these are people that we admire, people that we learn from, people that we enjoy, people that we want to be around. They might be smart and funny, but they're also humble and generous. Wouldn't it be great if we could spend all of our time just around these people? But we can't because there's also a second category of people. These people irritate us. They frustrate us. They talk too much. They talk too little. They're too sloppy or too neat. They're too pushy or too passive. They might watch stupid shows. They might be grumpy, clingy, or moody. These are people that like cats. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Here's the problem. There are not just two kinds of neatly contained people in each circle. The problem is is that sometimes these two groups, they overlap. They overlap. And we see this. One of the things that we experienced as a culture together in the last couple years during this global pandemic is this thing we call forced closeness. Relationships have been pushed over their limits. Parents have been stressed out. The number one thing searched on Google when the pandemic first began was divorce. Divorce. There have been articles written about couples that are so frustrated with each other, they want to fight, but they don't want to do it in front of the kids, so they sit in the same room a few feet apart texting hostile thoughts to each other. The problem is, is the people that we love and adore have also become the people that frustrate us with greater regularity because of the pressure we've been under. And one thing you learn, given enough time and enough space, 
enough closeness, you discover that everybody in this circle is also in this circle at times. And with that in mind, we thought, you know what? It'd be good to do a relationship on relationships, on, co- on the importance of community. And some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor John, that all sounds good, but another thing on how to get along? Let me remind you that every problem in the world is a relationship problem. Every divorce, every family squabble, every church split, every conflict, every war, every problem in the world can be boiled down to a relationship problem. Every problem in the world is a problem of one person or one group not rightly relating with another. And God's basic principle for us in relationships, you've heard before, but it's summed up in Matthew 22, where Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. It's Jesus' way of stating the oldest message in the Bible. Love God and love our neighbors the same way we love ourselves. God, others, ourselves. It really is that simple. Jesus says that if we do this one thing, everything else will fall into place. But it's not just the oldest message in the Bible, it's the newest message of the Bible too. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. To me, one of the best ways to understand what it means to love someone is to love them the way that Jesus loves you. Nobody modeled God, others, and ourselves better than him better than the sacrificial way he does for us. John wrote about the same concept in his letter, 1 John 3, where he says this, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Again, in that same book, dear friend, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love is the message. And I think the best way we live that out is to walk in right relationship. Every sermon you've ever heard, every Bible passage you've read, every Christian book written can be summed up with love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. If we did that, conflict is gone, right? It's so simple. It's all we gotta do. And yet so hard to accomplish. Human beings have been struggling against one another, have had a hard time getting along since Cain killed Abel. And it naturally raises the question, why do people frustrate us so? Why do they make us want to knock their block off? Why do people drive us nuts? Because they're just bad. That's what we like to think. We know it's not the right answer. For those of us who follow Christ, the exact opposite is the right answer. People frustrate us because... We're so bad. It's not just because something is wrong with them, it's because something is wrong with me. Here's a big part of the problem. I am much more likely, and you are too, to see the wrong in you than to see the wrong in myself. We all have selective memory. Loads of relational research has been done that shows that when we recall a situation, when we recall an event, we have a self-serving bias, how we remember it. <laughs> Jesus said it to his brother, or J- Jesus' brother James said it this way. 
What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. When you look at that passage in the original text, this are really serious words. You quarrel and you fight, you kill. Those words can either be translated in, in, in emotional hostility towards one another or outright physical violence. John's writing to the church and he actually says, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. There's no indication in the original language that he's being metaphorical there. These people are engaging in that type of conflict. And we like to think somehow that if we avoid murdering somebody that, you know what, we've done our job, we're off the hook. <laughs> but Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you so much as become angry at someone, you're also guilty of judgment and sin. Oh, if I just become angry, I'm guilty. You are too. The reason he puts it so strongly is this. The dynamic that leads to murder is also the same dynamic that leads to coldness and to withdrawal and to sarcasm and to contempt and to abuse and to neglect and to divorce and to cruelty. All those things that destroy healthy relationships and community. And this dynamic is deep and mysterious, but it's not complicated. James says, it's about our desires. I have desires. I, I want this food. I want this job. I want this kind of recognition. I want this amount of money. One of the defining characteristics about desires is, is desires don't think of others. The de desire doesn't step back and say, I wonder what would be best or good for them. Desires simply say, I want and so they're inherently conflicted. My desires are at times gonna conflict with your desires. And desires can drive us to do dumb things. That's why sometimes we get upset and frustrated and angry at each other over the silliest stuff. Because they conflict with our desires. You all know that recently I became a grandpa. And there's this little guy here, this little infant. And when he wants something, he lets you know it. And as they grow older, they're dominated by desire. They're no different. When they're toddlers, they desire and they throw a fit until they get what they want. And it doesn't change as we get older. I don't know if you saw the viral video, but there was a state, state trooper that pulled over a car that he thought was a drunk driver because this SUV was swerving. And when the officer got to the driver's window, he realized that it was a five-year-old behind the wheel. The officer asked him what he was doing and this little five-year-old in his voice, you could tell he's a little scared, said that he was driving to California to buy a Lamborghini. He wanted a Lamborghini, mom said no. And so when mom wasn't there and some siblings were watching him, he stole mom's car and took off with $3 in his pocket to go to California and buy a Lamborghini. When we're driven by desire, we do crazy stuff. Paul says it this way in Romans, we all sin. We all are bad, we all fall short of the glory of God. Lots of people think that that's just God's way of being narrow-minded or judgmental. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying this, if you say you love God and you hate or mistreat others, God's not okay with that. He says you can't do both. 
In 1 John 4, 20, we read this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. At times, you might want to knock someone's block off because you know what? You're a sinner and so are they. And God's ultimate goal is, is he wants us to walk in right relationship. First, right relationship with him through what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And then secondly, right relationship with each other because when we do that, we grow to become more like him. God is at work in your lives to help you grow in your capacity to love. And one of the ways he simply does that is he brings people into your life that at times irritate you, who frustrate you. First grade school of love is loving people you found lovable. Second grade school of love is loving people you find unlovable. Third grade school of love is telling, is stop telling people which category they're in. I love how Jesus puts it. I'm going to read a portion of Matthew 5 in what's called the message translation. It's a paraphrase, but I just love the way it paints a picture. Read the, reads like this. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you're working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives you his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless of the good, the bad, the nice, or the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you, want, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives toward you. You're gonna spend time around people that frustrate and irritate you. Fantastic. God's growing you. If you hear nothing else in this message, know this. In moments of frustration, ask God to grow you. Jesus, this moment is so hard. Would you please help transform my heart to be a little bit more like yours? If you have an irritating person in your life, you're on your way. If you don't have one, let us know. We keep a list at church. No, we don't. <laughs> but sometimes people get this romanticized view of relationships and community, and they think that the church is just all full of wonderful, loving people that hold hands and sing kumbaya together. I mean, only nice people go to church, right? It's not the case. I mean, look at Jesus' first community of 12. At times, those 12 people irritated him and frustrated him. He spent a good chunk of his time correcting them because they all argued and postured and in the end abandoned or denied him and doubted him. Even the person who betrayed him, Jesus made space for him. And as followers of Christ, that's what we're to emulate. That's what we're to aspire to. So to help you do that, I'm gonna kick off this morning and just share two practices that will help you rightly relate to each other. Just two, but if you do them, they can transform your relationships. The first one is this, embrace, embrace forgiveness. That word in the dictionary simply embrace means the act of supporting something enthusiastically. I'm not a huge boxing fan, but I do know from SportsCenter that there was a big boxing match last night, Tyson Fury and, and whoever the other guy was. Um, <laughs> But when they want to take a break from fighting each other, what do they do? They embrace. They hold. 
But it says here, the act of supporting something enthusiastically. Forgiveness is not just an act of the will. Hear this. Forgiveness is not just an act of the will. It's also a state of being. It's a lifestyle. And to walk in that lifestyle, we have to learn forgiveness. And the first part is, is we learn how to extend it to others. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Colossians 3. I love these words. These words were read at my wedding that I had just recently. And it said this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's humbling. I know we're living in some unsettling times. I know there's tension all over the place. There's economic tension. There's world peace tension. There's political tension. There's anger all over the place. There's anger about the government. There's anger from one side to the other side towards each other. And if we're honest, there's times that we indulge in it, we join in it, we cultivate it. It's on our screens, it's in our homes, it's in our schools, it's in our workplaces, and then we're shocked when it boils over into our relationships. What causes fights and quarrels among you, James asks. Authentic, real, Christian community is not marked by abnormally low levels of wrongdoing. It's marked by abnormally high levels of forgiveness seeking. So we learn to, ex- to extend it to others. And then secondly, about forgiveness, we learn to seek it out and ask for forgiveness when we mess up. It not only helps restore the relationship, it helps us become more like Christ. Henry Nouwen, the author, wrote this. It's so important that we keep forgiving one another, not once in a while, but every moment in life. And we begin by seeking it out by saying two words. Two words you all know. Two words that shouldn't be hard that, that hard to say, but at times they are. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Matter of fact, you know what? We probably get out of practice at this at times. We're going to pause for a moment. And on the count of three, you're going to turn to the person next to you and just simply say, I'm sorry. Ready? One, two, three. Here's an important point. You might be thinking, well, Pastor John, what if I say those words and the person that hears them is unreasonable? What if they won't forgive me? What if they misconstrue what I say and then they use it as ammunition back at me? All of those things are possible, at times probable. But that's not your issue, that's theirs. Paul writes wonderfully in Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, that's talking to you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. Now, practicing and walking in and living in forgiveness doesn't mean that you're pretending the situation or the other person is perfect. Doesn't mean that you gloss over it, sweep it under the rug. Doesn't mean that you avoid having hard conversations. Actually, if you love them enough, you're gonna have the hard conversation. It means loving them enough to plunge courageously into the hard conversations and ask for forgiveness when we do it wrong. God uses these situations to create in us a spirit more like his, a a humility and a forgiving spirit. And so firstly, we have to embrace forgiveness. Secondly, we have to practice radical acceptance. 
Paul writes in Romans 15, accept one another just then, just then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Forgiveness is needed when we screw up, when we do things wrong. But then we realize we're different people. We have different thoughts. We have different ideas, different perceptions, different backgrounds. And acceptance is needed because you know what? We're different. We're weird. Jesus brought together a bunch of people that normally didn't like each other very well. And he told them, you 12, let's be a family. I mean, fishermen and tax collectors. And there are more than 12. There's probably closer to 72 in his closest group. And back in that culture, some of them were women. Which back in that day, I'm saving myself here. That just meant that they didn't, yeah, get seen the same. Don't, don't hold it against me. <laughs> You look at the first century church, which I was able to study a bit when I was on my sabbatical, and Paul started the church in Rome. And it was filled with Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor. I mean, the Jewish people have been raised to think Gentiles, you know what they are? They're pagans, they're idolatrous, they're, they're wicked, they're uncircumcised, they're immoral dogs. That was the view. And Gentiles were raised to think of, you know, Jewish people. These are strange, hyper-religious, unpatriotic legalists. Imagine bridging that divide. You may have realized that you don't have much trouble accepting your own weirdness. <laughs> but it's harder to accept theirs. You get married and you quickly discover that your spouse secretly hid these annoying habits from you that while you were dating. <laughs> Joking, honey, I love you. <laughs> but you learn that everyone is weird. We all have our differences. And that's true in the church as well. We have to be accepting. One of the problems in our culture today is, is that people across different religious or ethnic or gender or cultural differences just don't get along. But Jesus called us into this different type of community. It's a community that Pastor Jason talked about that you can experience. Our prayer is that you experience that in your growth group. A community where everyone's accepted. Where you can embrace each other as friends. A community that says, you know what, Jesus accepted me warts and all. <laughs> Sin and all. I'll do the same to you. When we practice that, when we enroll in the school of Jesus' radical acceptance, people on the outside take notice. I want to be a part of that. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And then Paul writes there in Romans, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. And when we do that, he says, it brings praise to God. <laughs> it warms his heart. So this week, let's grow towards the Jesus way of community. Let's grow towards that. Practice using words that communicate acceptance. Notice people, care about them. Welcome them, learn from them. Thank God for them. See in them what God sees in them. When we realize that everybody's created in the image of God, and then you name it, my gosh, you bring life to them. This past Tuesday, I was having a tough day. I was just frustrated and struggling, mostly with myself. I made a comment to a few of my coworkers that I feel like a failure. And they graciously 
encouraged me and prayed over me. Later that day, I was walking back to my office. Pastor Terry was walking past me, and she literally grabbed my shoulders. <clears throat> Stopped me, startled me. And she just said clearly, she looked into my eyes, and she said, John, you're one of the most grace-filled people I know. Time to cut yourself some grace. Still makes me feel a little bit emotional because I, I needed to hear that. It brought life back to me. I finished my day and I was like, yeah. I mess up, but you know what? God still loves me. He still has plans for me. Terry saw the spiritual grace in me that I was not seeing in myself. And everybody we see is made in that image of God, is loved by God was died for by Jesus is to be welcomed and embraced and loved. And that includes each of you here and each of you online. You are someone God loves. You are someone that God has cut some grace to. You might feel like a failure. You might have some relationships that are, need some work, that they're a mess. And God wants to help you with that. But first, he wants to help you with you. He wants you to know that he sees you. He loves you. He forgives you. He accepts you. And maybe today, you're, as you're sitting here or you're watching online, you're getting that nudge that God does love me. He wants me to. We have a saying around here. We said it last week on Easter. You get to say yes to Jesus. God's already called you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He's taken away your sins and died for you. He's raised on the third day to defeat sin and to beat death. He wants you to walk in that forgiveness and is in, his, in his acceptance. Let's pray right now. Thank you so much once again for listening to our podcast. If you experienced something special today or connected in a special way with something that you heard, don't keep it a secret. You can reach out and share directly with one of our staff at RedeemerMN.org leadership, or you can share this episode of the podcast across your own social media. We look forward to the opportunity to connect with you. Until next time, God bless you and have a wonderful day.